First Timothy chapter three, verses one through seven. Uh, we're working our way through the book of First Timothy. And in this section, Paul is talking about what does it mean? What does it mean to uh, to be a pastor? What are the qualifications for an overseer? He says, this saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for uh, the word of God. Father, we thank you for this book, God, that we believe contains your truth and gives us instruction about who Jesus is and what his plan for our life is. God, help us to obey your word. God, please help us to understand it. Please uh, show us your truth this morning. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I was gone last week, uh, as probably many of you, if you were here, know that, and uh, where I was, was I was on my 20th wedding anniversary trip with my wife. Uh, every five years, like on the 5, 10, 15, 20, we try to take a big trip and do something that we both love doing together. We feel like that's really good for our marriage. And as long as we're able to do that, we're going to do that. Um, but I almost missed our 20th anniversary trip. That's a bad deal when you, you know, for Emma to go by herself. And uh, we weren't planning that, but uh, we had driven to Dallas. We kind of uh, slept in the van in Ardmore in the Walmart parking lot in the middle of the night. Uh, got to Dallas early in the morning. We didn't get out here till late. And we're checking in. And uh, Karen, the American Airlines uh, representative, said, you know, Mrs. Dirks, here's your stuff and you're good to go. She said, Mr. Dirks, you cannot go. And I said, that's a bad deal. Why can't I go? And she said, well, your passport is mutilated. That was the word that she used. I thought it was a bit strong myself. (laughs) Mutilated. What she meant by that was on the back page, you can see it's it's water stained. Okay? It's water stained. I had this in in my, my panniers on my bicycle in France. And we had about 36 hours of torrential rain. And, uh, and it got wet. And so it has kind of a water stain on the back page and kind of on the next page. And there's several pages that are kind of that way. And, and, and it, but up in the front where my picture is and all the official stuff, it's fine. Uh, Karen thought that she saw a little bit of water stain right there in the corner. I, I think she's seeing things. I don't think it's there. She thought she could see it. Anyway, she said, you can't go. And so we began to talk about this. And she said, well, you know, basically this, this represents the United States of America. This, this is, is my, my, my statement that I am a citizen of the United States of America in good standing and that I have their permission to leave the country and to come back into the country. Okay. Basically, this is, this is my presentation that I am, uh, I am connected to the United States of America. And so if this is blemished, if it is mutilated in Karen's words, you know, then they're not able to see clearly that I am who I say that I am. And that's why I almost missed it. Fortunately, Karen's supervisor came over and at this time Emma was turning on the, 
that type of deal. I don't think she was, she wasn't crying, but you know, she's giving that sad look and, and the supervisor looked at it and he said, I think it's okay. You know, Mr. Dirks, just get a new passport as soon as possible. And so anyway, I got to get on the plane. We never had any more trouble, but here's what I want to tell you. Okay. First Timothy chapter three, verse one, we have, we see all these qualifications, all these characteristics, things like, uh, be above reproach and be the husband of one wife and be sober minded and self-controlled and respectable and hospitable and able to teach and not a drunkard and not violent, but gentle and not quarrelsome. And, and basically what we find here is, is a kind of life, a kind of life that you present to the world that says I'm connected to Jesus Christ, the King of Kings. Okay. In a real way, your life is your passport to the world. It is that thing that tells the world who you are and who you're connected to Jesus Christ. And Paul says that that is incredibly important, especially if you are a leader. Okay. Especially if you are a leader, if you have a visible position of leadership in the church, in the family in the kingdom of Christ Jesus. You'll notice in verse one that Paul is talking about leadership here when he says the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. The office of overseer, that word overseer is a word that is, is used to describe a pastor, a spiritual leader, uh, somebody of, of, of that nature. In other places in the Bible, it calls them elders. In other places, it calls them uh, bishops. Uh, in other places, First Peter 5, it calls them shepherds. Okay, All of those words describe what we would probably call a pastor, uh, an elder, uh, something of that nature, a spiritual leader. Okay, now, now, first of all, Paul says it's a very good thing to want to be a leader. You should want that. He says, whoever aspires to the office of overseer, He desires a noble task. It's a good thing to want to lead other people to be like Jesus. That's a good thing. And in fact, I think all of us should want that in our life. Leadership is basically influence. Isn't that what what leadership is? When a leader influences people in a certain direction, leads them in a certain direction, encourages them in a certain direction, okay? And a spiritual leader should be someone who, who, who encourages and influences people toward Jesus Christ, toward the cross, toward living a Christ-centered life. And it's God's design for, for there to be leadership in the church. It's God's design for there to be leadership in the family. Did you know that? God has designed the family, he's designed the church to, to work in, in, in terms of leadership and submission, okay? And so there are people uh, who, who, who should want to be leaders, and, and there are people who should want to respond to leadership. In, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, it encourages us to be the kind of people who can submit to leadership. In verse uh, chapter 5, verse 21, it says, Submitting yourselves to one another out of reverence for Christ. In Hebrews 13, 17, it says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. You see, the Bible says that it, it is of advantage to us to have good leadership in our lives. And we ought to be the people who, who want that. And on, on one hand, I, I want to be the kind of person who, who wants to be a leader. I, I want to I influence people for Jesus Christ. I also want to be the kind of person who can submit myself to good leadership. I want both those things to be true in my life. I think whenever, whenever one of those is not true, especially if you're, if you're the kind of person that doesn't respond to leadership, that's a dangerous thing. There's a lot of people today who profess Jesus Christ as a Lord and Savior. But you know why they're not connected to a church is because they don't respond to leadership. They're, they're the kind of people who say, you know what? I don't need anybody. I don't need anybody telling me anything about the Bible. I don't need anybody encouraging me. I can do it myself. 
I don't need anybody in my life. I don't need relationships. I don't need comfort. I'm doing fine. I'm just fine by myself. Y'all just leave me alone, okay? You know what? That's not the spirit of the Bible. In fact, it's not even the spirit of, of the Trinity. You know, when we look at the Trinity, you look at God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, one God in three distinct persons. Did you know that within the Trinity, there is both leadership and submission? Isn't that interesting? completely equal. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But yet in the Trinity, there there is both leadership and submission. Throughout the Gospels, we see God the Father initiating leadership. We see God the Son submitting himself to the will of the Father. You remember the Garden of Gethsemane? Where, where Jesus is, is praying, Father, you know, take this cup from me, but Lord, not my will, but yours. What is Jesus doing? He is submitting himself to, to, the, to the will and the leadership of God the Father. And so even in the Trinity, we see both leadership and submission. And so it's a good thing. It's a necessary thing in our lives. And that's why we're talking about it this morning. You know, some of you might ask, you know, Pastor Jason, why, why are we even visiting this morning about being a pastor, about being an overseer, about being, why don't you and Pastor Chris and Pastor Andrew just go to Taco Mayo and ha- hammer this out amongst yourselves? And, you know, why, why do we got to listen in? Well, you need to listen in because you, you ought to want to be a leader. You ought to want to be a leader in your home, okay? But you also ought to listen in because, listen, there's not two separate tracks in the Bible. There's not, in the Bible, there's not, okay, if you want to be a leader, then you got to live this way. And if you don't want to be a leader, then you get to live this way. There's not those two separate tracks. There's, there, there are times in your life where that's true. When, when I went to college, I was a, a Bible and biblical studies major, okay? There were other guys who were engineering majors. Guess what? There's two separate tracks for that, okay? The engineering majors, they got to take calculus, okay? The Bible majors, we get to take math for the liberal arts student, all right? That's a lot better in my mind is, is taking that than calculus. But there's two tracks, okay? In the Bible, though, there's not two tracks, okay? Whether, you, whether you're a pastor or whether you're, you're not a pastor or maybe a new believer, there's just, there's just one track. The Bible says we ought to be this, okay? So when you look at these qualifications, when you look at things like be above reproach and the husband of one wife and sober-minded and self-controlled and respectable and hospitable and able to teach, those, those are for everybody, okay? In fact, I could look in my Bible and let's say verse 3, verse 3 says not a drunkard, okay? Is that just for pastors, you know? Just for pastors, not a drunkard, but Michelle's not a pastor, so that means she can go get drunk every night. No, that's not what that means, because Ephesians 5 tells us, be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit, right? And so it's, it's, not, just, it's not just for pastors, it's for everybody, okay? Verse 3 says, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome. Does that mean that as a pastor, you know, I, I have to be gentle with people and not quarrelsome? But Bonnie, she's not a pastor, so she can fight all she wants, you know? Is, is that what that means? Definitely not, okay? The Bible tells Galatians 5 says the fruit of the spirit is gentleness. Okay. And on and on we could go. So these are for everybody. Okay. These are for everybody. And listen, folks, whether you're a pastor or not, you ought to want to be a leader. Do that. You ought to want to be a leader. Every man in this room ought to want to lead his family well. You don't have to be a pastor. You, you ought to want that. You ought to want to be the kind of man who leads his family. You ought, to be, you ought to be the kind of woman who is a voice of influence, who's a leader among young women, who's a leader among, among her sisters in Christ, who's a leader among her children. You, we ought to want that. There ought to be something in us that says, I want to influence somebody else for Jesus Christ. That, that ought to be in all of us, okay? Now, what does that take? Well, first of all, it takes a certain kind of life. You see, it's not just about skills, 
It's, it's really interesting to me as you look through, through this passage, seven verses here that talk about what it, what it means to be a pastor. There's only one skill that's mentioned. You know what that means? We're not very skilled, evidently. Okay? There's only one skill. You know what it is? Able to teach. Able to teach. Everything else in this list describes a certain type of character, a certain type of lifestyle, a certain type of, of person who, who is bearing the fruit of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. Okay? So what that tells me is that leadership, influencing others for Christ, demands that you live a certain kind of life. That makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, I mean, if you're if you're gonna if you're gonna influence someone to be like Jesus, don't you need to be like Jesus? I mean, can can you say, hey, you know, Jim, I, w- I want you to be like Jesus. I'm I don't, I'm not anything like Jesus, but I want you to be like Jesus. I think you need to. Here's how to do it, Jim. It's I'm not like Jesus. That doesn't work, does it? I mean, you you can't influence somebody to be something that you're not. I've been reading this great Civil War book. It's called Killer Angels. I've been talking to everybody about it. I want people to read it so I can talk about it with them. Uh, but the last chapter I read, uh, the, the South is, is flanking the Union Army. And there's, there's one division on, on the flank. It's Chamberlain's division. It's got, he's the brigade commander. And, and the South is coming, but the, the Union's got good ground. They got rocks and they got the high ground. And so the Southern boys are having to go uphill charging. And, and they, the Union is, is pushing them back wave after wave after wave. But they keep coming and coming and coming. The Union runs out of bullets. They're running out of bullets. And so Chamberlain, is the, he's the general. He's the brigade commander. And, and so in a, just a split second, he makes a decision and he yells out. He says, you know, on bayonets. And so they, they all put their bayonets on. And then Chamberlain, the general, goes over the wall and he leads the Union Army down the hill in a charge against the Southerners. You know what I thought about that after I read that? I thought, how easy would it have been for for Chamberlain to hide behind the wall and say, put your bayonets on, guys, you know, now charge. (laughs) That's not nearly as impressive or inspiring, is it? You know what a lot of people do, though? They do that. There's a lot of moms and dads that say, you ought to be in church, son. You ought to pray. You, you ought to be holy. I'm not, but you ought to. Not very inspiring, is it? It's a lot more inspiring when people see in our lives what we are professing with our lips. We all have a very good nose for hypocrisy, don't we? We can smell it. We can smell when someone is saying one thing that they're not really living. It's very hard to lead when people know you're a hypocrite. So that makes sense, doesn't it? Why, for seven verses, Paul throws out all these characteristics. He says, if you want to be an overseer, if you want to be a leader, then these things need to be true in your life. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7, says this. Remember your leaders, okay? Those who spoke to you the word of God. That's what I'm doing right now, by the way, okay? So remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. And then notice, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Oh, that's heavy, isn't it? Consider the outcome of their way of life. And so 
what, what the Bible is telling you to do there, this is a heavy thing for me, okay? I hate to even say it, but it's, it's true. What the Bible is telling you to do is, don't just listen to Jason on Sunday morning, but you need to look at his life. Not only look at his life, but look at how did it end up, okay? He, he, he's loving Emma in this certain way and being this sort of husband. How does that work out? He, he's, he's raising his kids in this manner. How did that work out? Okay, consider, consider their way of life. Consider the, I mean, that's a heavy thing. Do you, do you see what he's telling us to do? In 1 Peter chapter 5, uh, Peter's talking to pastors, shepherds is what he calls them. And he says in verse 3, he says that they're to shepherd the flock of God, not domineering over those in your charge. So in other words, not just hiding behind the boulder and yelling orders, okay? But he says, but being examples to the flock, being examples to the flock, being examples. What, what is an example? That means they need to see in, in your life what you profess with your mouth. You know, Jesus was, was maybe the greatest example of this. In John chapter 13, he is just teaching his disciples to love one another. Part of what it means to love one another is we serve one another. Okay? And, and instead of just saying, all right, guys, you need to love one another, you need to serve one another. What Jesus does is he comes in to the Lord's Supper table. They're, they're getting ready to take the Lord's Supper. And, and Jesus bends down and he washes each of their feet. You remember that story? He washes the disciples' feet. And then in John chapter 13, verse 14, he says, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. I mean, do you see what Jesus does? That's a good, that's good leadership, isn't it? He, he's saying, look, I, 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 I want you to serve one another and love one another. I'm going to show you how that's done. I'm going to live that out in front of you. I, I'm, I'm going to be the first one to show you how that's done. We need to leave, We need to lead with our lives. If you want your kids to pray, they need to see you pray. Yeah, I mean, you can tell them to pray and you can teach them to pray, but they really need to see you pray. If you want your kids to be people of of the book, of the word, the Bible, then they need to see you study the Bible. They need to hear it come from your lips. They need to see you live it out. They need to see it be in you. If, if you want the people that you work with to know the love of Jesus, then you need to live the love of Jesus. They need to see it in you, lived out, okay? If you, if you, want, if you want your family, dads, if you want your kids to be grateful kids. Man, I want my kids to be grateful kids. I, I tell you, I, I, really, I really don't want them to be whiners. Man, whiners, that's, that's no good, you know? Whiners and complainers. I, I want my kids to be kids that are, are, are grateful. Okay, but... It's more than me just telling them, you need to be grateful. By golly, Fred Martin, he had walked 10 miles through the snow and uphill, you know, and you get to go in an air-conditioned car, you know. That's really not that effective. We all do that, but it's not effective. You know what is effective? When they see my life get hard and I'm grateful. That's powerful. That's influence. That's leadership. Is what that is. So number one, we find these qualifications here because to be a leader, you have to have a certain kind of life. Number two, we find these qualifications because if our life doesn't look this way and we're put in positions of leadership, we could do great harm. 
First of all, you do great harm to yourself. Notice verse 6 and 7. It says, He must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Verse 7, Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Did you notice two times there that that Paul says he, he needs to be this way and if he's not, the devil's gunning for him. The devil has laid a snare. There's a trap. Friends, I take that really seriously. It's interesting that this past week, family I am dearly close to, don't live around here, but I'm connected with them through ministry. Um, Guy was a leader, spiritual leader, and he fell this week. Very unexpected. Nobody could have ever anticipated. Of course, he's fired the next day. His family's in shambles. That's real. That part about the devil, that's real. Your life needs to be a certain way. And if if it's not, the devil's going to take you out. I think that's what he's saying to leaders. Hebrews 13, 17 tells us that there's a reckoning for leaders. And that's a heavy thing. Obey your leaders and submit to them for their keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account those who will give an account. You know what? Someday Pastor Andrew and Pastor Chris are going to stand before God Almighty. And God Almighty is going to, first of all, hold them accountable for their own spiritual lives, for their own connection to Jesus Christ. And then, and then he's going to hold them accountable for their wives. Pastor Chris is going to have to give an account for, for the way that he, he shepherded and led Callie Castor. And, and Brother Andrew is going to have to give an account for the way that he shepherded and led Michelle Dostal. And after that, they're going to have to give an account for this church. You know, for the, for the 400 or so souls that, that, that are associated with this church, and God's going to hold those two guys accountable for their ministry in this church. That's a heavy thing. We need, to be, we need to be aware that with leadership there comes responsibility. Friends, we can do much harm as leaders who don't live lives that match what we proclaim. You know, in... Uh, in all of life, there, there, are, there are qualifications for people that handle serious things, right? Aren't you glad that when you, you go in for surgery and they get you prepped and they roll you back there, aren't you glad that you have cert, pretty, pretty certain confidence that the guy that's holding the knife has some qualifications that enable him to be there? I mean, aren't you glad that it's not like the commercial? He just slept in a holiday inn. He's going to give it a whirl, you know? Aren't you glad for that? Aren't you glad when, the, when you get on the plane, you know, that you can have pretty certain confidence that there are organizations that have regulated this gentleman and that he's had to meet certain qualifications to be able to fly that plane? I mean, I'm, I, I don't ever want to get on the plane and someone say, hey, this is my first time. I'm going to give it a shot, you know. Hey, do that on your own, buddy. Not with me on there. And in the same way, friends, God says, this is my church. This is my church. This is a big deal. And so we ought to take leadership in the church. Not lightly. Now, what are the qualifications? Well, there's a bunch of them there. We don't have time to look at them all. So we're going to look at two. Uh, we will probably, we'll probably catch the others in the, in the next couple of weeks. But I, I want to look at two, first of all. Uh, number one, uh, leadership in the family and in, in the church um, according to the Bible, should be initiated by men. 
Okay? If you'll notice there, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overstreet, he desires a noble task. Okay, verse 2, therefore an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife. Okay, if you, if you remember last week or two weeks ago when I was here, we preached to women. I preached to women about modesty and we finished in verse 10, beginning in verse 11. It says, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet for Adam was formed first and then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor, yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Now, now hear this, hear this. What the Bible is expressing to you there is not that women are not leaders. Women are incredible leaders. We have in this church women who, who, who lead very well in the sense of they are, they are incredible examples of the fruit of the Spirit of God in their lives, the life of Jesus in them. They, they speak God's truth to other women, to other children. They are good teachers to other women, to children. They live out mothering and modesty and marriage and ministry and they do that in an incredible way, okay? There are women who are leaders, but what the Bible is saying is in the family where there is a husband and in the church where there are other men, men need to step up and take leadership. They need to step up and desire to be leaders, desire to be influencers in their homes and in their church. And Timothy says, or Paul says here in 1 Timothy 2 verse 13, that the reason for this is God's design. In verse 13, he says, for Adam was formed first, and then Eve. You see, a lot of people will say, well, the Bible says that the men ought to be leaders simply because uh, it wasn't meant to be that way, but when the fall happened and when sin happened, it messed everything up, and now this is what we're left with. I disagree because Paul links it back to creation. He says, for Adam was formed first. In other words, Paul says, look, God had a design in creation. When God was, was creating the man and the woman, he did so in a very purposeful way. Don't think for a minute that God made man, you know, and said, hey, yeah, that was a pretty good idea. I made him in my image. He's put him in the garden. God comes back a couple weeks later and Adam's like, man, I ain't got nobody to talk to. I've visited with the giraffe and the anteater and the aardvark. Nobody likes NASCAR, God. I'm really lonely. Okay. And God said, well, you know, maybe let me rethink this. Okay. Maybe I'll make Eve. You know, she didn't like NASCAR either, but God, God made her, you know, and that's not the way it happened. God had a purpose in creating the man, giving him dominion, giving him responsibility, creating the woman, giving Adam the leadership of his home, and then creating the family, and then creating the church. God had a very particular design there. And, and, and Paul comes back to that design when he's talking about leadership in the church and in the home. And he says, for Adam was formed first, okay? So here's what that means, guys. You are formed first, and therefore you are first, okay? Now, before you get too excited about what that means, hear me out, okay? That means you are the first to initiate spiritual leadership in your home, okay? Let me get real practical about that. That means that you're the first to initiate prayer in your home, okay? You're to be first in that. Whenever there's a problem, whenever there's a crisis, you ought to be the first to say, all right, guys, let's pray. Let's look to the Lord. Let's call on Jesus for what we need here. You are to be the first to initiate spiritual instruction in your home. That ought to be you. It ought to be you saying, all right, guys, we need to learn about Jesus. We need to learn about the Bible. You are to be the first to initiate reconciliation in your marriage, even when it's not your fault. Okay. The one time in your entire marriage where it's not your fault. Okay. If you've been married 60, 70 years, Lloyd can tell us there was one time where it was not his fault. And even in that particular instance, he is to be the first to say, honey, 
I'm sorry. I, I don't know what happened here. I'm not sure why you're mad. I'm not sure why this went wrong. But I want to reconcile. I want us to get this right. That is the man's responsibility. Why? Because God made him the leader. Does that make sense? He's to be first in humility. He's to be first in reconciliation. He's to be first in protection. First to go without. First to sacrifice. First to provide for. God's order for the family is for the husband and fathers to take responsibility for the spiritual lives of their families and of their church friends. We need strong men. That's what we need. Strong men who will raise up to that responsibility and say, I will be a servant leader. I will take care of my family. I will take care of my church. So first of all, God designs men to take leadership. Doesn't mean that women are not leaders. We need, we need women to pastor our women. We desperately need that. It's very hard for me to live out what does it mean to be a godly mother, okay? That, I struggle with that. I, I, I can't do that, okay? But we need you women. We need you to do that. That's, that's, it's going to say that later on. Women are to lead other women. Number two. We're going we're gonna to quit here. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, okay? What, what's, what's the second qualification? Above reproach. What does that mean? Well... Reproach or, or, or this phrase basically means that we are, we are not close enough to sin that people are able to, to blame. People are able to say, that guy's in sin. That guy's out of line. Okay? The way that I've traditionally described this to you as a church is, is we put a line up here. I don't know if you can see it. There's a yellow line on the stage. Can you see that right here? And, and what, the way we've usually described it is if, if this is okay... And this side sin, what we do not want to do is, is live right here, okay? That's foolish. Did you hear that? That is foolish to live right here, okay? What, what we want to do is we want to live way over here, okay? We want to make it very clear that we, we're living in, in line with the characteristics of Jesus Christ. We want everybody to be able to see that, okay? I mean, if we're over here, let, let, me, let me ask you this question, okay? If I am right here on this line, uh, Donna Matic, Am I, am I over the line or am I on the line? Huh? She says over. Michelle, am I over the line? Come up here and look. Come up here and look. Am, am I, am I, have I gone over the line? Betty. You are not over the line. You're on the line. Okay. Do you see that? I, I'm not actually over the line. I'm on the line, okay? Uh, all right, all right. Uh, but but did, 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 you, did you see the point here, okay? Donna had no idea at all. She couldn't tell. She's too far away. Michelle's closer, but he, it actually looked like her. I was over, okay? Betty's the only one that had a clear enough vantage point to say, no, he's not over the line. Is that the way I want to live my life? Do I, do I want to live so close that people who people who are, are who are in my workplace and don't know much of my life say, oh, no, man, he's... He's not what he ought to be. He's a hypocrite. And people who are even in my church and, and, and sort of close to me say, I, th- I think he's over. And, and only the people that are really close to my life would not. I mean, is that the, man, I don't want to live that way. Now, let me ask again. Donna, am I on this side of the line? She can see that. Michelle, am I on this side of the line? Betty, we're all good. That's easy to tell. Here's where I want to live, right here. I want to live here. I don't want to live over there. I want to live over here. That, that, that's what it means to be above reproach. Now, does that mean, does being above reproach mean sinless, okay? 
It's interesting because uh, I read through this list real quick. I said, therefore, one must be above reproach, the husband and one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable. And, and I, asked, I asked Bobby Castor in the last service. I said, Bobby Castor, do you know Chris Castor all your life? I said, is there ever a time that he's not been self-controlled? Is there ever a time he's not been respectable? She wouldn't rat out her brother. She's, she just stood there, just blank face. Didn't say a word, you know. I was like, Bobby, has he ever? And she's like. If I tell the truth, he's going to get fired, you know. She is locked up. I said, Bobby, come on. Come on. Chris is not perfect. He, he sinned. He, he's a sinner. Chris, are you a sinner? Have you ever not been self-controlled? All right, there. But the truth finally comes out. Lincoln Avenue. That's quite a sister, I tell you what. Does, it, does that mean, does it, when we say... To be a spiritual leader, you, you got to have never sent. No, no. So what do we mean by above reproach? What's that mean? Well, it means this. There's not a pattern of sin. There's not a pattern of rebellion. There's not a habitual life of sin. That, that's one thing it means. Second of all, it means that there are not sins so prevalent, and listen, visible, so prevalent and visible that would inhibit one's ability to lead others. You see, some sins are more visible. Some sins have greater consequences. Some sins are, 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 have more trauma, more destruction. There are some sins that you don't get into in a moment. Listen, if this is the line to cross to adultery, you don't, get in, you don't cross this line in a moment, okay? You know what happens? You, you may be way over here, but you know what? You begin to have thoughts that you don't deal with, you don't repent of. And then you, then you begin to have an attitude toward, toward your wife, maybe, that, that you don't correct and you don't repent of. And, and then you begin to not love your, your family as you ought to. And then you begin to, 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 to uh, flirt and, and take, take uh, chances with the opposite sex that you ought not take. And finally that leads, you see what I'm saying? There's a pattern of sin that led to that sin. And being blameless... Being blameless is, again, making sure people can see clearly where we are. Let me, give you, let me give you an example of this, okay? Let's just say Dave Biffle and I get into a fight. We have a disagreement. Uh, harsh words are exchanged, and he hurts my feelings. I don't handle it right. Uh, instead of forgiving immediately and seeking reconciliation, I, I go that whole day being angry at David. It happened in the morning, and I'm angry with him. And in fact, I eat lunch with my wife and I slander David to my wife. And, and I, I, I think bad thoughts about him and I, I, I ignore the Holy Spirit's prompting to reconciliation. Let's say that happens all day long until the evening. And in the evening, I'm reading my Bible and God just gets a hold of my heart and says, Jason, you cannot live this way. You got to forgive your brother. So I call David up on the phone. And I said, David, man, I'm sorry. I've, I've had an angry heart toward you. I'm sorry for what I said. I'm sorry that we, we, we had a broken relationship. Will you forgive me? Can we reconcile? We get things right. Okay. Did I sin? Yes. Um, am I still above reproach? I think so. I think so. Um, I had the private conversation with my wife, but I can, I can get that right. I can fix that. I dealt with my sin pretty quickly. I mean, all this is a judgment call, but I think I'm still above reproach. Okay. Situation number two. Let's say the same thing happens in the morning. Dave and I get into a, a, a scuffle, a, 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 not a scuffle, but a, an argument. I hold a grudge, but this time I don't get it right in the evening. I don't get it right with the Lord. I, I continue to resist the Lord. I stay made, mad at David for days. I stay mad at him for weeks. I stay mad at him for months. Every time we're in the church, I give him the cold shoulder. And we, we just got this broken relationship that I ignore 
week after week after week after week. Okay? And then one day in business meeting, there's a subject comes up. David and I are on opposite ends. David says one thing. I say another. There's harsh words exchanged again, this time publicly. And it escalates into a, a screaming match between the two of us. And then finally, you know, get so mad. I fly over the chairs and we get into a fist fight. And David uses his army ranger stuff and he just snaps my arm. I'm laying on the ground, you know, all broken arm, you know. What? I don't know what happened there. See, now this is really happening. Okay, let me, let, let's, say that, let's say we repent of that. We repent after, after the business meeting, you know, or later on that night, our wives get us together. We, we, we obey the Lord. We repent. We reconcile. Did we sin? Did I sin? Yes. Am I still above reproach? Probably not. Probably not. You know why? Number one, there was a pattern of sin that escalated, that wasn't dealt with until finally it was public. Can, can you imagine what people would be saying around town about Lincoln Avenue Baptist Church. Can you imagine that? It'd be all kinds of jokes. Hey, come to Lincoln Avenue. They got cage fights. <laughs> that pe- people would dishonor Jesus because of what happened, wouldn't they? You know they would, right? What happens two weeks later? Let's say I stay the pastor. What happens two weeks later when, when I, I'm preaching through Ephesians and I come to the verse in Ephesians that says, be angry and do not sin? Do I preach on that? And what, what if I do? What do you all do? You snicker, don't you? Oh, yeah, I see how he handled that. Not, I've compromised my ability to lead, haven't I? That's what it means to be above reproach. Friends, to be above reproach, 1 Timothy 4.16 says, keep a close watch on yourself on your teaching. You know what that means? That means that I live over here. I live over here. And when I begin to have thoughts that are sinful and I begin to progress toward that line, man, I've got accountability in my life. I've got other men speaking truth to me. I'm, I'm, I'm in a relationship with the Lord where I confess my sin and I repent and I come back. And I get ungrateful with my wife and I get discontent and I confess that and I repent and I come back. I live over here. I live over here. So even, even when I stumble a little, I'm, I'm still, I'm still, you're able to say he's okay. He's on, he, he's not disgraced the Lord. He's not in a pattern of sin. He's not, he's not, he's not visibly blown it. Okay. You see what I'm saying? We, we need to manage our lives so that we stay above reproach. You know what, you know what we need at Lincoln Avenue? We need Leaders. We need men. We need men who will be men. Who will not be lazy, complacent. And we need men that will step up and say, I want to lead my family. I want to live over here. I want to fight hard for the things of God. I I want to live in such a way where my character influences my kids. And others for Christ. We need women. We need women who will, who will so embrace the characters of Jesus Christ that they influence other women for Jesus. They influence kids, children for Jesus. We need leaders. And that begins not with skills. Okay, you know what we don't need? We don't, first thing we need to do is we don't need to say, okay, 
Let's figure out the skills of leadership. Let's, let's learn how to be a better teacher. Let's, that, that's, that's important. But before that, we need to be the kind of people who lead. And that has to do with our character, our heart. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your goodness to us. Thank you, Jesus, for, for leading us. God, not, not just through your word, which is awesome, God, but also through your life. God, you, you came incarnate. You, came, you became a man. And you lived this life perfectly. And Lord, you are our leader. You're our shepherd. You're our overseer. <laughs> Lord, you're our pastor. You're our king. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to follow you. And God, make us like yourself in every way. Father, we love you. We praise you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.